You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramillo, credential reporter, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. The Heat are in the midst of a six-game winning streak. So to help me make sense of it all is a friend of the program, Nikias Duncan. A lot of you know him from his work covering the Heat, but he's long been covering the league at large. So I thought he'd bring a good perspective. We had such a great conversation that it went over an hour. So I'm splitting it up into two parts. I'll be recapping Tuesday's game versus the Hawks. So part two of this conversation will be available on Thursday on today's show. We started recording right after the news that Lloyd Pierce of the Atlanta Hawks was dismissed. So we talked about that before getting into John Collins' strengths and weaknesses and potential fit in Miami. Then we also talked about Kendrick Nunn's resurgence and Kelly Olynyk's impact, the good and the bad on this team. Like I said, really good talk. You don't want to miss this. So here's part one with Nikias Duncan, writer and podcaster with BasketballNews.com. Recording this on a Monday afternoon, I'm here with Nikias Duncan of Basketball News. You know who he is, of course. And we just found out just minutes before jumping on to record this podcast that Atlanta Hawks head coach, former head coach at this point, Lloyd Pierce, has been dismissed in the middle of a two-game set against the Miami Heat. What a head-scratching move. I don't think anybody saw this coming. If anybody, it seemed very obvious that Luke Walton would be fired well before Lloyd Pierce. I don't think Lloyd did a bad job in Atlanta. He had the respect of his players, that locker room in general. And they've been going through so many different injuries. Can you make heads or tails of this, Nikaias? It's unfortunate. I am, I too am surprised that, and I actually tweeted about this, like I'm surprised that if there was going to be a head coach fired after the Minnesota thing, my money was going to be on Sacramento. <laughs> it was going to be on Sacramento. Yeah. Luke Walton just has not done a great job during his tenure there. Um, it's been an up and down season for Sacramento again. And even if you're just going with the recency factor, you know, Atlanta lost last night, but the Kings also lost in very dramatic fashion, a very late comeback for the Charlotte Hornets last night that ends in a Malik Monk and one for the winner with 1.4 to go. So, even just looking at those kind of similar circumstances, if there was going to be a guy that didn't make it to Monday, uh, the signs kind of point to Luke Walton. But I also understand why Atlanta moved on from Lloyd Pierce. Um, the offense, even with the injuries, just from a scheme perspective, the offense was kind of unimaginative, yeah. which is hard to do when you have a guy like Trey Young, though he has some he has some things to work through on offense as well. It doesn't move without the ball. But part of that is also scheme. Um, from everything I've read, the relationship between Trey and Lloyd Pierce has, I wouldn't say it was frosty, but I would say that it's definitely declined over the past couple of seasons. Right. So if you are the Atlanta Hawks front office and you feel like the roster is underperforming, even with the injury context put into it, the easy scapegoat is the coach. That's typically how it goes in the league. So Lloyd being fired, I mean, having a guy like Nate McMillan behind him on the bench with the experience that he has, it makes it an easier transition for Atlanta to make that move. So it's just it's just unfortunate to see. Right. Uh, I can't say that I'm super surprised by it. Maybe, maybe you're right. I, I just I know they've gone through so many troubles, and I don't know that any of it really falls on Pierce so much as just bad roster composition, the fact that they've had injuries. I mean, 
Like, just look at look the, the this is coming hot off the heels of their loss to the Heat on Sunday night, where they dropped a ten point game there, and they were you know back and forth for most of that second half. But Trey Young in particular really struggled from the field. And while you have to certainly give credit to Miami's defense for being able to contain Young and and make most of his three point shots uncomfortable, he was still putting them up from thirty feet out as he's wont to do. None of that falls on Pierce. I mean, to an extent, as to your point, obviously you can scheme for him to get better looks. Is that what the difference maker was? Because, I mean, it, they've had issues. That Danilo Gallinari struggled. They had a monster performance from John Collins, but those are few and far between. And we'll get into Collins in a second, because if you spent any time on Heat Twitter, you know that Collins is the, the object of many of the Heat fans' desire right now. And... It's we'll we'll talk about that later on, but I, I just it's just so weird to me because I mean I I, I like Pierce. I, I got a chance to interview him well well before the pandemic and talk to him one on one, and he was just so frank and open. And to me, that was always like you you. It's very difficult that you get a coach that's so frank and and willing to talk to a reporter, and, and so I always appreciated that. I know I'm not in that locker room on a daily basis, so I can't make the same kind of judgment that those players do. But it's just it just didn't seem like the right move again. We talked about Walton there. Did you see anything from Miami's performance that maybe maybe forced the Hawks front office's hands a little bit? Travis Schlank? I mean, I, I I don't know if that necessarily they they saw that loss and said to themselves, no, no, this is unacceptable. This is something that that Pierce could have done differently in that loss on Sunday night. I honestly I can't pinpoint anything specific right. from. I yeah. feel like this it's less about the Miami loss and more about okay, we've lost, you know, three or five or whatever their stretch is. I don't have the standards in front of me right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. But I think this was just kind of a natural jump off point if they wanted to do that. Um, I will say it's also a little convenient that the firing was on March first, fair to February twenty eighth, which is a little bit funny. But it's it's just tough to gauge. Like I think if you're just power ranking what the issues are with Atlanta. I think roster construction is first. Right. Right. Like they just don't have they didn't have a lot of two-way talent on the roster to begin with. That's why their offseason I mean they they made it a point to add a guy like Rajon Rondo who, you know, isn't a stellar defender at this point of his career, but a guy that can hold his own periodically at the point of attack. They add Chris Dunn and they haven't gotten anything from him because he's still recovering from injury, recovering from surgery. So they add those pieces. They draft on Yeka Kongu. Um, they, they even add a Miami veteran, Solomon Hill, a guy that can defend both forward spots in a pinch for you. I so, bet you he misses the stability of Miami, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I, I must say, I think Miami probably misses him too. With some of the, no, no doubt. No well, doubt. Sure, we're going to dig into that kind of stuff later too. But yeah, like the roster's just kind of been weird. And then with those acquisitions, they've been unavailable and also inconsistent. So that's a larger issue than Lloyd Pierce. But if you're Atlanta and you spend a whole bunch of money in the offseason and you have these playoffs, um, you know, you have the motivation to make the playoffs this year. If you don't feel like Lloyd is going to be the guy that takes you over the hump, then I guess I understand Atlanta's reasoning. I just don't think the process was particularly great with this. They, they have been three and seven over the last 10 games. So maybe this has been building for a while and, and we're just not, 
acutely aware of whatever issues there are in the locker room. But anyway, I, I hope that Pierce gets another opportunity at some point. And uh, McMillan does seem poised to take over. I, the most recent tweets from Adrian Wojnarowski kind of hinted at the choice being his, you know, and which is kind of, you know, he's in a unique place as a veteran head coach who's taken over for so many different spots. And he's been around long enough to, I guess, pick whatever destination he chooses. Um, so I wonder whether or not he'll, he'll wind up taking over, whether or not he wants that pressure, whether or not he saw the opportunity in, in Atlanta to just kind of slide by and, and, you know, not have to be the, 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 you know, the one who takes the brunt of whatever responsibility, clearly that's the case. Now it falls on, on it fell on Pierce. So, We'll see how it plays out. But I think from the Heat fan perspective, uh, everybody's really surprised at, um, you know, or, or looking forward to what happens now with the rest of that roster. I don't think they're going to tank the season. I don't I think they're still angling for a playoff picture. The East being what it is, there's still only a game or two out of, a, a you know, a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. So it's not really like it's dire in Atlanta. They can turn things around. Maybe McMillan, if he does wind up taking over, implement some changes and all of a sudden they become cohesive. There's always the new coach bump. So we can expect that. I would I would predict a loss to the Hawks on Tuesday, if nothing else. But um, you also tend to look at, you know, John Collins. He's a player that a lot of Heat fans really, really want here, especially after he had a monster performance against the, the team on Sunday. What do you like about Collins and what you don't? Because I, I feel like I, I know his weaknesses are should be, I think, pretty well out there. And, and you know, they're, they're pretty clear. And yet Heat fans just see him, see his age, see the fact that he's a local guy and just think to themselves, he's the perfect complement to Bam Adebayo. I definitely see the arguments for him being a compliment, um, a dynamic role threat, a guy that is a legitimate shooter at this point, um, not a guy that's getting up eight or nine threes a game, but will give you moderate volume, not just a corner shooter, a guy that can knock him down above the break. So you have that inside out element with him. And I think that's important to pair, you know, if you're talking about pairing him with a guy like Bam Adebayo, who operates from the middle a lot, like, the mid-range jumper frequency has improved just in terms of where they use them in the offense. It's a lot of high post stuff with dribble handoffs. So having a guy like John Collins that can either space the floor on the weak side or while Bam's kind of operating in the dribble handoff, if they swing the ball, you operate, you know, you flow into a pick and roll with John Collins and he's a guy that can slip screens for you, can just dive hard to the basket against drop coverage and force a rotation that way. So I think he's a guy that could definitely open up their offense. The concerns come defensively. Sure. And I think even that you can talk yourself into because the weakness for Collins is that he can't anchor a defense at the five for you. Like he just doesn't have, doesn't really have the size to do that. Um, if you're looking at it in terms of coverage, doesn't really have the footwork, doesn't read the gap well when he's playing drop coverage as well. So you don't want him at your five, but if you're sliding him in at the four and you're having him as more of a weak side rim protector, if the Heat want to trap or, you know, Bam's just playing to the level of the screen, or even if they're switching and you have a guy drive by, John Collins can do that for you. He is a guy that can rotate from the weak side and provide some rim protection that way. He just can't be your primary rim protector. So I think if you're talking yourself into John Collins as a long-term Heat fit, it's that he already has some positive value as a weak side rim protector. He is a very good rebounder. And you sprinkle some of that Miami pixie dust uh, <laughs> to kind of approve the off-ball awareness and things of that nature, then you're going to be looking at, at worst, a neutral defender, and at best, um, 
again, I am not saying John Collins is as good as Chris Bosh, but in the vein of the kind of development that Miami would want, yeah. you would best want that kind of development from well, from he has the game. physical tools, right? It just seems more lack of defensive awareness. I mean, I don't want to you know label it as basketball IQ or anything like that, but he does seem to get lost in space sometimes, kind of loses his positioning defensively. But those things can be taught, especially as his age. And and since he has those physical tools, you would expect that maybe if he's coached up, and certainly Eric Spolstra and Miami is known for doing that, they could probably get him to take another level in his defensive development. Right. That's the case. And like just on balance, John Collins is one of the smartest people in the NBA. Like have a conversation with him. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know, it isn't always one-to-one in terms of basketball feel, but again, if you're Miami, you're trying to say, Hey, what does a long-term fit look like? I can see the coaching staff saying, Hmm, where is John Collins defensively now compared to Chris Bosch in 2010? What are the parallels there? Where's the room for growth? And if they feel favorable about that, and you combine that with what John Collins brings as a shooter, as a role man, as an offensive rebounder, it's easy to talk yourself into it. I think the issue then becomes you can talk yourself into the on ball, the on court fit, but the conversation quickly shifts to what does it cost to get them? Sure. If you're going to trade for them, are you willing to part with Tyler Hero? The answer is a swift no. Are you prepared to part with Duncan Robinson? That's a tough conversation. Stick around as we talk about potential trade options for Miami here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and analysis. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh in your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. It's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It goes to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. When you want to treat your muscle tension from working out an injury or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for a Theragun Gen 4. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on. Theragun.com slash locked on. With an ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you might need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure pointless or intimidating questioning while the person behind the counter orders parts you're looking for on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, and you can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy-to-use site. You'll get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. Why spend more for the exact same parts? rockauto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and then go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And write in locked on so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. I cover everything you need to know about the heat, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast 
wherever you get podcasts. You know, it's funny you mentioned the hero thing because I, I addressed this on Sunday because I took some questions about it. And my overall feeling is that I don't even think he fits a need in Atlanta, right? I mean, with Herder there and Young there, I mean, would they pigeonhole him into a, a six-man kind of role, uh, an offensive spark plug, or would Herder take over that role? I just, I don't know that they would necessarily request Hero's inclusion in a trade. Do you see a fit there for him? Yeah, that's that's also that's part of the conversation. I do think it's a weird fit. I would say Hero versus Herder long term. I think it's easy Hero. Yeah, like I think has shown more ability to get to the rim. I think that's the main separator between those two. Because Kevin Herter is a fantastic shooter, as a spot-up guy, as a pull-up guy. He's a good passer in the similar vein that Tyler Hero is. If that Hero is more willing and has, which is funny for Hero, has a little bit more size, a little bit more strength to get to the basket and has shown more as a finisher in that way. Yeah. So I think upside is higher. So if you're know if you going to say Kevin Herter is going to be my sixth man long-term or you can move Herter before we have to pay him, then you know adding Hero – to your prospect list makes some sense. But I, I think that's just kind of where the conversation starts. If you want to acquire John Collins in season, it's are we how attached are we to Duncan Robinson and what he means to the offense? And what would an offense look like without Duncan Robinson? Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into the Robinson conversation because I think it's uh, a concern for a lot of Heat fans, not just the future as far as what he gets paid and how much and whatever. But, I mean, obviously – his inclusion in trade talk seems like a daily conversation and he's had some regression, although I don't think it's quite as bad as a lot of heat fans make it seem. Um, we'll, we'll get into that as well, but I, I did want to kind of pick your brain a little bit. If you have a ranking, if you had an idea of players that might or might not even be acquirable from the heat perspective to fit alongside bam, do you have a, like, let's say three or four players that you think would fit better? Like Collins is one of them, perhaps, Anybody else? Because, you know, you have the names like Thad Young, B.J. Tucker. Another one that I've been curious about is Torian Prince. Do you have anybody else that kind of fits into that mode as far as somebody you can plug and play to fit the Jay Crowder role? Because I think that's what they're looking for. I, I keep referring to it as lightning in a bottle because that was the unexpected benefit of the Justice Winslow trade, something else that we'll talk about later on the show. But when they traded Justice, that was a play for Iguodala and the one they wound up getting the most out of Crowder. And I think he's the one that they clearly missed the most um, from this past off season. Do you see anybody else out there in the league that might be somebody that can kind of fill that same gap for Miami this season? Um, I think sticking in Chicago, Otto Porter would be a guy that I think Miami would probably look into. Yeah. I don't think that young is going to be on the market at all. I don't either. He has, the mentorship and what he's brought to that front court, particularly Pat Williams. I think Pat Williams. He's, he's their second best player, right? I mean, behind Levine this season. I, I just don't know that you could, I mean, maybe that's arguable, but at the same time, like he's, he's providing clear benefit there. And if they're angling to make a playoff spot, which clearly they are, I don't see any reason why young would become available. Right. So I think Otto Porter is a guy that hasn't really been in the rotation just because of injuries, which is, which has always been the thing with him. So maybe he's more acquirable um, going out to OKC. A guy like Kenrich Williams could be an interesting option for Miami to explore at the four. Uh, who else is out Harrison there? Barnes? Like, I don't see Sacramento moving off of Harrison Barnes either. Really? I don't because he's been very, very good for him, for them. And yeah. move Harrison Barnes, then the front court. Who started at the four for Sacramento? 
Yeah, no, I mean, those, those are good points. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's been talked about. You, you kind of just tend to assume that Sacramento's punting on yet another season where they can't get another level of development from their draft picks. And, and while, you know, Halliburton's been good and Bagley continues to be a conundrum, I just, I don't know if they're going to actually be able to tie it all together this year. And I don't know why they'd want to continue paying a guy like Barnes that seems to be really, really good, but maybe this doesn't fit their window of development. So I don't know. They they always seem like Atlanta, at least this time around. They, they seem prone to making rash decisions that don't make a lot of sense. So I kind of always feel like they're a team that could be easily exploited. That front office certainly has always shown that capacity anyway. But I like, I mean, do you like Barnes fit? Whether he's available or not, do you like his fit in Miami? Oh, I absolutely love the fit. Like, I think. Yeah you could get Harrison Barnes in there. Like he is a more consistent. I mean, he's just a better version of Jay Crowder. Right. Right. Just yeah. I mean, good. the experience with Iguodala, the intelligence level, this understanding, the championship experience, like all those factors, the intangible that, that Miami loves so much. That would be such a great addition here. I'm a guy that can actually dribble and get to the rim, which is some, not something that Jay Crowder could do. So, really? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, no, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, that, that was those were nightmarish experiences there. So yeah, like Barnes would be great. Um, I think he would probably be top of the list on the four list, um, beyond John Collins, just because there are less defensive questions for Barnes than there are for Collins. But point. again, I, I just don't see Sacramento making him available. Um, you know, the smoke has been around John Collins pretty much all season. Um, when you look at the draft and what they did, free agency, what they did. And then, you know, there was the report out that Atlanta was starting to listen to calls. And then there was another report that, you know, they would want a, a lottery level first round pick if they were to move them. Right. Before the season, there was the extension talks and Collins turned down a deal worth, I think, somewhere between 90, 95 million dollars. So yeah. he's not moving for more. It's just it, it wouldn't surprise me if Colin does eventually get moved. Um, I just don't see that for Barnes. Yeah. And where are you on the Tucker situation? Because I feel like he's had such a major step back, but it's hard to kind of gauge considering, you know, one, his age, two, everything that's happened in Houston this past season. And I wonder whether or not he's just another one of those players. I, I feel like the conversation or the comparison to Nick Batum is one that's uh, an easy one to make, like get him in the right situation and it'll instantly become revitalized. I don't know if that's quite the case when it comes to to Tucker, but do you like his fit in Miami as well? I get it. He's just he's just kind of washed, man. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. really what it come down to like even with a guy like James Harden not being there, the role for PJ Tucker hasn't changed. Teams still largely defend him the same way. He still gets up a ton of corner threes. He just isn't knocking them down, and defensively he has slipped a little bit. So maybe that's. Maybe that makes it more likely for Miami to trade for him because maybe the cost just isn't as high as it would have been before the season. Yeah. I can't remember exactly which reporter said it. It might have been Kevin O'Connor. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there was a report that Houston was asking for, I think, three second-round picks for P.J. Tucker. Uh, you know how Miami feels about second-round picks. Um, which ones? <laughs> exactly. So if that's down to a pick and a prospect, I don't know, like maybe Houston takes like Harkless, Casey, and, and the one second that Miami has available. Like maybe that's something they can talk themselves into. Like I, but other than that, I, I don't know. Like in terms of ability, 
he doesn't touch Barnes. He doesn't touch Collins. Right. I don't think he's better than Williams. And I don't know how hot of a take that is. I mean, I also don't know how many people in the audience, I mean, how many Heat fans are watching OKC games on purpose. So I like Williams. I liked him in New Orleans before that. I even remember going to a Heat game and sitting next to a Spurs scout who was there specifically to watch Williams. And I remember thinking that's, that was a little peculiar, but I watched him and he is just, he's always seems to have an, a knack for making a smart play. And yeah, I mean, he kind of throws in his own little spice here and there, but I think he's a, he's a pretty solid player. He is. He's good. So like, if you ask me to rank him, like at best Tucker is fourth on the list for me, fourth or yeah. fifth. So yeah. I don't know. Like, obviously the cost will dictate a lot. Availability will dictate a lot, but I'm just any thoughts on Torian Prince? I don't think he really helps there because I I don't think he's as good of a defender. Right. Three point shooting is there, but if that's your benefit, just wait for the two week stretch to Kelly Olynyk's making threes, and he's also going to add in the passing. Well, well, that's a good segue because of all the different heat topics that I could have brought up next, uh, I feel like this is a, a pretty natural transition into the, the glaring issues at the four spot. I mean, I guess some could argue it. Others could make a strong point that, you know, Kelly is a great fit for this currently comprised roster and especially in that starting lineup. The Olenek situation seems like it's a, a pretty difficult one to navigate because there are plays there where you wonder what the hell Olenek is doing. And at the same time, the numbers all reflect that Miami does play better with him in the starting lineup. Uh, Heat fans are exasperated. I I maintain that a big part of it is that he just doesn't look like a typical NBA player. And so there's always going to be a perspective on him that a second he makes a mistake, it's like, well, get that goofy looking white dude out of there. And I totally get that. But uh, I think he also makes pretty smart plays at the four and he winds up being a pretty solid contributor there. Where are you on Olenek and what is it about him that is a problem uh, for, especially defensively for Heat fans? Uh, I would say if I could frame it this way, I think it's less that Olenek is a problem and more that it's frustrating that Kelly Olenek is the best option. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, you don't have Achua hasn't, I don't know. He can't fit the role. I don't know if he was ever expected to. Obviously that was a responsibility that Harkley was, was supposed to take over and that's been somewhat disastrous there. And so I, yeah, Olenek is clearly your best option. And so there's no other, there's no other recourse for Eric Spolster. Right. And I think that leads to the frustration because Olenek has been a streaky player his entire career. Oh yeah. So when he is without question, your best, or the frame it this way, he's the best option that Miami is willing to go to at the four. Um, I said in the seat, you know, so I said preseason that I would love to see Miami really experiment with some Jimmy at the four lineups. I understand why that's not going to be a thing during the regular season, just because of the wear and tear. And once right. you have COVID and injuries and all that stuff, then duh, you don't want to do that. But again, frame it that way. If Kelly Olynyk is by far your best option at the four, and he's one of your more inconsistent players, that's going to lead to a lot of frustration because the primary benefit to Kelly Olenek is him being a guy that can stretch your defense. That's where it really starts. Now, obviously, he's really good at faking the handoff. He is a good passer. But it all starts with the shot. 
because once you can get a defense to rotate out, then he can put it on the floor with his goofy drive and draw some weird fouls when he posts up and just kind of throws the ball over his head. And just, I mean, you know the whole Kelly Olenek experience. We're all we're all heat watchers here. But when he doesn't have it going, if the shot isn't falling, and then you look at him on defense, he's mostly in the right spots, but there are just some very obvious limitations. Even scheme-wise, there are only certain things that you can do with Kelly Olenek if you want him – to you know, stay above water for you. Right. So the Heat desperately need an upgrade there. I don't think the Heat need to move Olenek because he is, on balance, a helpful player. Even when he doesn't have the shot falling for you, he is a guy that defenses have to respect. Oh, for three. You know, if Kelly Olenek goes oh four from three, there's still a hard closeout coming. If Mo Harkless is at the four and he's oh for three, then it's extra frustrating because they aren't guarding him anyway. And it makes it easier to rebound. It makes it easier to junk up other actions on the floor because he just doesn't have that gravity. So, you know, Olenek is going to be a positive player for you just because of what he brings as a spacer and how the rest of his game branches off of that. But it would be nice if Olenek is your second option at the four. Even if you start him, you have a guy that you feel comfortable closing at the four. You can't have Olenek as your best option, I think, is where I really fall. Caius and I will wrap up our conversation talking about Kendrick Nunn before getting to some listener questions in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards and TV shows, reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Remember to use the promo code locked on. Gabe Cunningham, Evan Mobley. Jalen Suggs, how much do you really know about these potential NBA stars of tomorrow? If you want to know more, you need to subscribe to the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Prospect scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. Would, would it be sick? No, it wouldn't be safe. I mean, even as I'm thinking of it loud it here, would it be a, a potential option just to have Iguodala start at the four and kind of play like that Myers Leonard? Like you know, get a few minutes in the first quarter and then not see any action again until the third quarter and have Olenek come off the bench, or is that asking too much of Andre? I think it's asking a little bit too much of Andre, but also the offense needs sure as much as it can get. And I think Olenek, again, even if he's having a bad shooting night, teams have to respect him, and that makes it easier to drive and that makes it easier to force those rotations. What's been ugly about Miami's offense this year partly because of injury and partly just because of the personnel that they have is that they haven't been able to put defenses in rotation in the same way. That's why they desperately missed Jimmy Butler when he was out because the only guy that could consistently get to the rim for you was Bam Adebayo. And, you know, when Goran Dragic was out, you doubly felt it because if Jimmy was gone and Goran Dragic was gone, then who's getting to the rim for you? Like Kendrick Nunn loves pull-ups and floaters. Gabe Vincent loves to shoot threes and you know how that, goes most of the time not well Tyler Hero he's 
got into the rim more, but he still isn't a guy that go is a rim first guy, and he's been out. Duncan Robinson doesn't do that for you. Andre Iguodala doesn't do that for you. If he attacks a closeout, he's looking for somebody to hand the ball off to. So it's just been tough in that regard. So I don't I don't know if Andre Iguodala juices that starting lineup because he's mostly going to be stationed in the corner, and teams aren't going to respect them from out there. And if he's not going to be able to comp, you know, counter that and get to the rim and force rotations in that way, I don't really see the benefit. I don't know if you've even taken this close a look there, but do you notice anything in, in Kelly's shooting mechanics or something that maybe I'm not seeing? Because it feels like he has he's able to generate or somebody's able to generate for him pretty consistently open looks. And then he he is somewhat mobile, like even when he's creating off the bounce or when he, you know, takes a little sidestep three, it's not it's not particularly awkward looking as awkward as it might be for most seven footers. He does definitely has the touch and I've seen him light up the nets on in practice situations. It's a whole other situation to implement that into a game, but he seems to feel very comfortable with pull up threes and transition. And, and, you know, that leaves heat fans, of course, wanting to, to, you know, well, they don't, they're not particularly fond of Olenek. Do you see anything there that maybe I haven't noticed as far as his mechanics or something else that maybe he could be doing things a little bit differently to make him a more consistent shooter? As you pointed out, this has just been Kelly throughout his NBA career. I remember when he first came over, I wondered, you know, from Celtics fans perspective, and I reached out to Locked on Celtics. So I was John Corrales and asked him, and he's like, hey, he's just, he's just wildly inconsistent. There are games there where he's going to be scoring 18 points and then he's going to be, you know, 0 for 7 or something like that and only chip in a couple points. Do you see anything there about Olympic shooting? Um, I think, I mean, it's a great point by you. He does have fantastic shooting touch. That's why he's such a tremendous three-point threat. Yeah. What kind of annoys me is that none of his threes seem stationary. Yeah. Yeah. He fades all of the time. And I feel like with this large of a sample, even going back to his college days, with this large of a sample, I think that's just a comfort level for him. But also just the nature of having that kind of a swaying shot and he's never really set and he's flowing off movement, it kind of leans into that inconsistency a bit because if he isn't on with that kind of movement in the shot, then it's easy for, you know, that's where the variance kicks in. That's why some nights when he's locked in, he can knock down five threes. And another night is one of seven. And he may be shooting you know, the same looks, but again, he's fading and he may be just a little bit off kilter. And then that's all that's needed since he isn't stationary. He isn't set. I, I keep coming back to this point in my head. And it's just for me, I feel like since he grew up a guard and then all of a sudden had that growth spurt a la Anthony Davis, uh, he, he's just never quite been never fully felt comfortable in the realization that he's seven feet tall and he can shoot anybody over anybody. And so he's constantly moving even when he doesn't need to. It's like, it's so easy for him to get that shot off over anybody, especially when you have a smaller guard closing out on him. And yet he still winds up moving his feet in a way he doesn't need to. It's just, I don't know. It's just, maybe that's a completely baseless theory on my part but it just seems like there's something off with him like he's just never quite figured out and even there's situations like that in the post too where he just doesn't realize exactly what to do and yeah he has he does have some touch around the basket but he's not exactly a polished low post player not that many guys in the NBA are at this point but it's just I don't know he just doesn't seem to ever quite realize hey 
you're seven feet tall and a legit seven feet tall. You can do a lot of different things offensively that most players can't. So you should be able to incorporate those wide skills to becoming a much more potent offensive player. But uh, I don't know. Man, let's just, there's nothing you can say about Kelly because I feel like he is going to always be that net positive and yet he's always going to struggle with consistency and you're going to wind up getting frustrated. So might as well just enjoy the ride because it's not going to change anytime soon. But one guy who has certainly changed over the last couple of weeks, and that's a big part of what's filtering through the heat Twitter conversation right now is a two and a half level score. According to you in the most recent episode of the Dunker spot, that's Mr. Kendrick Nunn. I, what's, What's been the change for him? Because we're seeing like this diversity in his game that didn't exist even at his peak early last season, certainly wasn't there in the Orlando bubble, but he's become maybe in your opinion, not a serviceable defender, but at least giving, he's an earnest defender. He's giving effort and he's also making plays at a level that he never has shown the ability to do. I just, what has gone into Kendrick Nunn? I think the big thing is that he's grabbing the low-hanging fruit on both ends of the floor. Like, he isn't dying on screens. He's taking better angles on screen. Yeah. Like, even last year when he was mostly awful, it wasn't a lack of effort. Like, I never accused Kendrick Nunn of quitting on a play. It's that he would just go shoulder into the middle of the chest of a big man when trying to fight over a screen, and there's just no way that he's going to recover that way. Yeah. So I think yeah. he's, he's taking some smarter angles defensively on the ball. You know, off the ball, he's fantastic at playing the passing lanes, and I feel like he's taking a little step there from last year as well. Offensively, he's not a guy that's making like James Harden or Luka Doncic or Chris Paul level reads and pick and roll, but if he sees a little bit of advantage, he's making a dump off. It's not a highlight-worthy assist, or sometimes it's not even assist, but he's making the pass to keep the chain moving when he doesn't have it. That's been huge for juicing the offense. And for him individually, the jumper's falling for him. Last year it just kind of stopped. And when you're taking the diet of shots that he is, like most of those threes were coming off the bounce. Those pull-ups, you know, obviously off the bounce. Attacking a pick and roll and going to those floaters, those are generally low percentage looks. When they're falling for you, they're great. But when they don't, you're not pressuring the rim all the way. That's what a floater is. You're getting to that eight, six to eight feet range instead of getting all the way down to the rim. So you're not getting free throws on top of that. Even during this hot stretch, he's averaging what? one and a half, two free throws a game. Yeah. Will isn't doing that, which is why, you know, on the podcast, I said, he's more of a two and a half level score. He can attack a hard closeout and he'll have a random highlight level dunk to cap off a run for you. But, you know, on 10 possessions, he's maybe getting all the way to the rim one or two times. It's a pull up or a floater for him most of the time. So the fact that those shots are falling for him, it's opening up the rest of it. And now he's complementing that with some basic passing, and that helps keep the offense in flow. So I think, I mean, that's obviously been huge for Miami. He's on a roll. Um, heck, he was a defensive substitution during a recent game. And I, <laughs> I, I would. I guess the Jazz? Yeah. Like, it, I wouldn't have seen that last year. No, definitely not. So, you know, just making those steps. He doesn't have to be lead on that end. If he's serviceable, as what as Zach Lowe called him during his 10 pieces, his 10 things he likes and dislikes pieces from last Friday, if he's serviceable with what he could bring offensively as a shooter, that's all you kind of need for him. That does it for part one. Again, I'll be recapping the Hawks game right after it ends. And then part two of my conversation with Nikias will be available on Thursday. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at lockedonheat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show, leave a review. 
I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support.